right. Thank you very much, Pastor Dave, for letting us know about what's happening in the life of our church body. And uh, we're excited to be with you here today. I uh, hope, uh, hope you had a great week. Uh, weather is uh, weather's nicer this week than it was last week, right? <laughs> a, little, a little rainy and wet last week, so nice to be dry this week. Well, good to be with you. Um, if you're just joining us today, we are uh, have been looking at the book of Proverbs uh, this summer and exploring the principles of wisdom and applying them to all different aspects of our lives. Uh, wisdom, we've been defining as competence in regards to the complexities of life. And so last week, we talked about the complex topic of emotions. Uh, today, I'd like to cover a topic that can make us emotional, uh, the topic of money, which Proverbs has a lot to, uh, to say about. Now, some of us listening uh, out there uh, today have an accounting aptitude, and you might argue that money is all about numbers. What I want to argue today is that it goes much deeper than that. Money affects the heart and the emotions. Now, back in April, the National Endowment for Financial Education conducted a survey and found that 9 in 10 Americans, or 88%, said that the COVID-19 crisis was causing stress for their personal finances. In fact, maybe you're out there and you're one of the 88%. And I'm not, I'm not an accountant, but 88% to me seems like a lot of people. Pastorally, I've spoken with people who've lost their jobs or they've had to take pay cuts due to the financial upheaval uh, caused by this crisis. In fact, here's some, here's some top reasons that survey found that are causing stress. Uh, maybe uh, you have stress because there's not enough money in your savings, Okay, maybe it's causing stress because you're fearing, you're fearing loss of your job or your income. Uh, maybe you're, you're having trouble paying your mortgage or rent or paying health care bills. And there was other reasons, but those were some of the top things they said that were causing money stress during this time. And so what I was thinking is that if money is just about numbers, why is this thing causing so much stress? And the answer is, it's, it's not simply about numbers, right? Money touches all areas of our lives. Otherwise, it wouldn't cause that much stress. That's logically what we think. Now, the reality and the tension we feel is this. When we have money, we feel secure. But when we don't have money, we feel vulnerable. Solomon aptly wrote this in Proverbs 10.15. He said, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Now, in ancient times, uh, cities were often walled and fortified, uh, meaning they were generally safe from invaders. Now, wealthy people could afford to live in these cities. The poor could not. In fact, a modern equivalent might be, the, uh, might be gated communities, right? It costs more money to live there, and usually there is a security personnel that's keeping out the dangerous people. A similar sentiment is mentioned in Proverbs 18.11. It says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Now again, Solomon mentions that strong city image, but that second clause draws out an intriguing point. He says, wealth and money can exert power over our imagination. In other words, we imagine all the ways that money can save us. Money, we believe, creates this high wall, a hedge of protection, if you will, around us, and it will save us from that thing we fear or dread. And this, dear church, is the reason that money is not just about numbers. It's about status, yes, but it's also about security and protection. 
And when we don't have money or we lose the money that we did have, it emotionally feels like those walls are collapsing around us. We feel vulnerable. So let's just use our current reality as an example. And this example might not apply to everybody, but just just picture this happening. Imagine you were doing well in the first quarter of this year. You know, things were humming along. And in your mind, you were already thinking about that Christmas bonus and that exotic vacation you had planned for next January. And then in March, everything collapsed, right? And the future of your job and maybe even your industry is now in question. And now you can't sleep well at night. You can't eat a decent meal because you're so stressed out about what the future holds. What is that about? Money is a powerful thing. And that scenario I just pictured describes the money battle in our hearts. Because money is promising us what we crave, protection. We think enough money can fix everything. And right now, it seems like all the money in the world can't solve the problems plaguing our country or or the world in general. Now, for some of us, that scenario I just just described, uh, it, it, it hasn't happened yet. But maybe you're concerned that your job or your salary is vulnerable in the future. So I'd ask us a question as we begin today. What do you fear or dread? What do you fear or dread? And why do you believe that money will save you? Because I suspect many of us are trying to build that wall higher and higher, thinking it'll, it'll fortify it from collapse. But is that the wisest thing to do? Now, let me just acknowledge that some of the things I mentioned are legitimate concerns, right? We need money to live and provide for ourselves and our families. But today, I would like us to, uh, I think it's important for us to consider how money affects our hearts and remind ourselves where money comes from. Because there is a deeply, and what I'm going to call the message today, a deeply spiritual dimension to money, So let's consider three aspects of money and how wisdom should alter our mindset. The first thing I'd like to look at is the blessing of money. The second thing I'd like to look at is the danger of money. And then finally, let's apply gospel generosity. So the blessing of money, the danger of money, apply gospel generosity. Before we look at those, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the ability to gather today. Whether, whether here, whether online, Lord, thank you so much for, for your people, for, for coming together to hear your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts, Lord, to hear what you'd have to say to us. Help us to be challenged. Help us to, to be moved to action, Lord. All for your glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first, let's acknowledge that money is a blessing. Right? Having money provides us the means to accomplish our hopes and dreams, to do fun things like take trips, or, and, and money is also a resource that we have to bless others with. But let's never forget what Solomon writes in Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Now let's home in on that first clause. What does it say? It says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. And I think this is where most of us get mixed up, right? We forget that everything we have comes from God. We forget that everything we have comes from God. Our employer doesn't make us rich. God does. And that's not to say that we should not engage in hard work, but we should never forget that God is is our provider and he will sustain us. 
Now, I know that's easier said than done when we're walking through hard times. But what if your view of those times changed? Instead of seeing them as hardships, look at them as times to trust God more, to ask for his blessing. Now, anecdotally, I I would tell you that there's been times in my life, both when I was married and before I was married, that God used people, and sometimes anonymously, to provide for a need that I had. And my wife will attest, if she was here, she would say that every time we had a money issue come up and I was starting to stress out about how we were going to afford this or pay for that, and when God provided, she would always look at me and say, oh, ye of little faith. I'm just kidding. She never uses the word ye. (laughs) My point is that our money, our blessing comes from God. We are not owners of our money. We are stewards of it. God has entrusted us with his treasure, and he wants us to use it wisely. It's almost like we're on a business venture with God. He's the investor, he's the VC, and we're the the entrepreneur. Now, the second clause in that proverb is really interesting. Excuse me. It says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Now, painful toil draws out the life-crushing sorrow of overwork. And I know some of us resonate with this, right? We live in New Jersey after all. Has anybody experienced painful toil from your work? Some of us work jobs where the expectation is that we will work until we are blue in the face. But this proverb is saying that the wise person does not engage in this painful overwork. Rather, we simply work hard and allow the blessing of the Lord to fall on us. Now, if you're in a high, some, <clears throat> some, some kind of high-powered job and you're experiencing painful toil, I would invite you to ask the question, how much money is enough? How much money is enough? Because that extra money might make you feel comfortable or that title might make you feel important, but is it worth not seeing your family or children? Or perhaps some of us prefer not to be home, and that's a whole other topic. Is it worth the high blood pressure and the extra scrutiny you're dealing with? Now, I don't know the answers to those questions. What I'm doing is simply inviting you to ask them. I'm simply inviting you to ask them. Because maybe less money and a more enjoyable job would be a better fit for you. I don't know. Either way, trust the Lord and always remember that your money comes from Him. Now, how do we make money? Proverbs 12.11 It says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. See, money, he says, comes not from overworking, but from hard work. That's how God puts money in our pockets. God made us for hard work. Why? Well, hard work gives us purpose. It builds our character. If you lose your job, you may stress due to loss of money, but you may also be stressed because you don't know what to do with your time. You, you, uh, you lost, at some level, you lost purpose. And additionally, as you acquire money through work, it makes you appreciate it more. See, when money is acquired through get-rich-quick schemes or even through inheritance, there's always a danger of not appreciating that money. Following worthless pursuits in this verse can be translated as a person who chases fantasies. So additionally, God wants us to do work and build things that are productive and good for society. So, for example, let's say you're a business owner or even a salesperson. Does the product or service you provide meet a need and help 
your community flourish. If you're a doctor or a nurse, your work helps to bring healing and hope to people who are sick. And especially during these COVID days, you've been our heroes. Maybe you're an educator and you're investing in the lives of the next generation. Or maybe you work in technology and you're building products that make lives better. The point is that as you go to work this week, ask yourself, how will the world be a better place this week because of my work? God provides us with money, and one of the ways he does that is through hard work in a job that benefits others. And as we make money, we have to learn to be content with it. Now, let me just say this. Money, money is a blessing, yes, but some of us will make more money than others. Some of us, in fact, here are very gifted at making money, and praise God for that, right? Some of us can take $1,000, and we can turn it into a million dollars. Now, I don't have that gift, but some of, you, some of you might. That means that you can generate money so that we can bless more people through things like job creation or through generous giving. We all need to learn to be content with what we have, but if you are especially gifted at making money, you carry an extra burden. Proverbs 13.8, it says this, The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Now, if you look at that word ransom, the proverb is saying that rich people can be held captive to their wealth. In other words, money is a blessing, but if you have a lot of it, you need the character to manage it. That wealthy people have stresses and burdens others don't have. Why? Because others are trying to always get access to your money. I imagine you often get, get requests for investments or donations or projects People may only be interested in you for your money. And that can make you feel alone, right? Not knowing who your true friends are. It takes great character to handle wealth. So you need to learn to be content with what God has given us. Money is a blessing, but it can inevitably capture our hearts. And so we must remember where that blessing comes from. Author Paul Tripp makes these observations about what money shows us. The first thing he says is that money shows us the goodness of God. That the very fact that we have anything is evidence of the goodness of God, that God is so good to us. Whether we have a little or a lot, God knows our needs and he provides for us. We're dependent upon him. Paul Tripp says this, he says, Money is meant to function like an arrow that is always pointing to the goodness of God. Let me say that again. Money is meant to function like an arrow that is always pointing at the goodness of God. Friends, everything I have is a gift from God. Am I using my resources to point people to him? Secondly, money shows us the danger of a fallen world. Have you ever had this thought or uttered these words, if I only had this much money, then I would be satisfied. And it seems to me that we always think we need a little more money than we actually have. And in a fallen world, we always think that we need more, but so often that more we think we need is something that will distract us from God. Third, he says, money is a means of responding to the need of, uh, needs of others. Money shows us how good God is, yes. Money shows us the danger of a fallen world, yes. But money is also a way for us to be a blessing to others. 
There are so many needs in our world's world that we need people who think about blessing others. So this week, I'll give you an action step. This week, look at your budget and ask yourself how you can adjust it so you can give more money to meet others' needs. Now, you've been hearing us talk a lot throughout the summer about our Give Help, Get Help initiative here at MBC, and perhaps you can give some money to that fund uh, to, to, help, you know, to help people that are in need, or you can do something personally for people that you know. We have all been blessed. The question is, how can I now be a blessing and meet the tangible needs of others? The blessing of the Lord makes us rich. But just as money can be a blessing, it can also be a great danger. And that's the second point, the danger of money. A guy named John Henry Jowett is credited with these profound words. He said this, The measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all our money. I'm going to say that again. The, me- the real measure of our wealth is how much we'd be worth if we lost all of our money. Friends, our, our worth is not tied up in our money. But once you start building your identity around something, you will do anything you can to keep it. How much would you be worth if you lost all your money? That, that is a deep, deep question. I mean, is your identity so wrapped up in your wealth that if you lost it all, you wouldn't be worth anything? Pause for a moment and just, just consider that. Think about that. See, money can be a blessing, but there's always the potential for its dark power to overtake us. Commentator Ray Ortland notes that in Proverbs, we see at least four dark powers of money. And the first one is this, it's control. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty six. He says, people curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Now, this proverb is about control. It's about someone selfishly hoarding grain and then driving up the price. Now, you might remember back in March and April, people were doing this with key items like toilet paper and hand sanitizer and webcams. You know, all of a sudden the webcam costs $1,000. Hoarding such items is a way of manipulating people who are in real need. Our hunger for money and wealth can be so insatiable that we go to a dark measure to acquire it. Have you ever tried to control people with your money? Commentator Bruce Watke notes that one of the central messages of Proverbs is this. He says, The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. That's what this proverb is about. It's the dark side of money. And the question for us is, how can I leverage my money to help others? Even if that means I won't make more money. Now, the second dark power is confusion. Look at Proverbs eleven eighteen. It says, the wicked earn deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Now, the word deceptive literally means unreal. And so this proverb is saying that without a relationship with God, we can start to buy that lie that money promises. The spiritual power of money is that it promises far more than it can deliver. 
that we, we think we'll, we'll have a better life if we're richer, but too often money leaves us empty. It's deceptive. Now, when I was back in high school, I performed in the theater, and during my freshman year, I was in a play called You Can't Take It With You. Maybe you've seen it, a Kaufman play. And my claim to fame that year was that I played the dead body in that production. I was credited with being the, the dead body they carried around. But I'll never forget the premise of that title. It was all about how when you die, whatever you have materially, materially earned in this life, you can't take it with you. And yet, we are deceived by our wages far too often. We think they create more protection than they actually do. Money's dark power can also lead to, thirdly, conflict. Look at Proverbs 28, 25. It says, A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. How often has money caused conflict in your life? Perhaps it was a disagreement with a business partner. Money disputes are often listed at the top of marriage conflicts. Why? Because a husband and a wife can have a different view on how to spend money based on what's important to them. Or maybe you had a fight over who was going to get the family inheritance. Nobody has ever had a fight about that. Right? In fact, there was a recent movie entitled Knives Out that captures this inheritance problem beautifully. Maybe you've seen it. It was a great flick. What a great image for conflict, right? The, the movie has Captain America and it's got James Bond with a southern accent. The movie is about an old author who owns his own publishing house. and He's really wealthy. And as he ages, he has to decide how to divide his estate between his three children. At the beginning of the movie, he's found dead. And it's told often through flashbacks. And literally, the knives come out as the siblings squabble over the money. And in the end, he gives no money to his family. And he chose to leave it all to his caretaker. Boy, I got to tell you, that caused some conflict. Now, I didn't ruin anything that happened all at the beginning of the movie, so you're not going to worry about the ending if you haven't seen it. Finally, money's dark power can cause corruption. Look at Proverbs 20, 23. It says, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. Now, the phrase unequal weights here refers to any kind of dishonesty. So cheating, cutting corners, false advertising... And if you look at the language, it says, it says this. It says that those things are an abomination to the Lord. Now, that's a big word, so let me define it for you. An abomination is a thing that, that causes disgust or hatred. In other words, dishonest business practices are disgusting in the sight of God. So price gouging, taking advantage of people. It's disgusting, he says. So think about that the next time you're trying to cheat someone. But the real question should be, why would we even do that in the first place? Because the dark power of money is gripping our hearts. Acquiring more can be our goal in life, but that often doesn't lead to a good place. It leads to emptiness and despair. Money's dark power can fester and grow in every area of our life. It's dangerous, friends. And money can cause us to easily forget God. Look at Proverbs 11.4. It says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. In other words, money blinds us to the day of judgment. 
That one day we will come before the judgment seat of God and he will ask us to give account for our life. I mean, this proverb is serious. It says love of money can distract us from doing the things God has called us to do. Money can cause us to look down on others. Money, money has a way of making us feel superior to other people. Church, we have to always be on guard against the dangerous power money can wield in our lives. And the way we fight the danger of money is to remember the blessing of money. So if you'll remember, I said before that money should be an arrow pointing to the goodness of God. And so an action item this week, I would suggest, is to find your arrow. Get something tangible. Put it in a place where you can see it. In fact, um, what Amanda and I do is we have, this, we have this box frame in our bedroom, and it's got a glass door on it. And what we do is every time we receive a blessing from God, we, we put a tangible reminder in that box, especially if we've uh, had some kind of financial blessing over the years, something that we couldn't accomplish on our own. We put a reminder in there of how God has provided for us. And we use that as a way of pointing people to how God is so good. So whatever it is, find your arrow. Find your arrow. And use it to point people to the goodness of God. And as you put more arrows in your quiver, they will remind you to apply gospel generosity in your life. And that's the final point today. Apply gospel generosity. Now what I mean by that statement is that we should seek to emulate our generous God who gave his life for us. The way to fight money's stranglehold over our heart is to constantly ask, how can I be generous? Proverbs 11.24 gives us a beautiful picture of this. It says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And one who waters will himself be watered. Wow. And don't you see what he's saying? Selfish people grow poor because who wants to spend time with a selfish person? <laughs> no one. Open-handed people Generous people grow richer and richer because they are blessing others. So consi like, just consider this image. Consider a farmer. Right? A farmer scatters seeds, right? And the more seeds they scatter in their field, the greater harvest they will reap. And the harvest, when it comes, it comes back in better form. You can eat and sell the harvest. And so the real way to become rich is to give your money away. I know it sounds counterintuitive. And let me be clear. This does not necessarily mean that you reap monetary blessings. In fact, more often, than not, or more often than not, it doesn't involve money. There's plenty of other ways to be blessed. To live a wise life is to be generous. As one commentator put it, spiritually wise people realize their money is a seed. And the only way for them to turn it into real riches is by giving it away in remarkable proportions. So as we close today, I want you to ask yourself, where am I scattering my seed? And I have to tell you, just, just on a personal note, we have a very generous church, right? As long as I've been at NBC, I have witnessed great generosity, both in the way people have given to our ministry, but also how I've seen people personally help those in need in our church body. And I want you to know that as you continue to scatter your seed, it is making a difference, right? Lives are being changed. Let me just give you two practical examples of giving generously before we, before we end today. The first 
I would say is this. We should pray about giving to specific ministries. Pray about giving to specific ministries. And whether that's here at NBC or, or some other ministry, um, pray about it. Now, if you're giving here at NBC, your seed, I got to tell you, is being scattered all over the world. Okay, not only are you supporting local efforts in our church here, but regionally through the efforts of ministries like Feeding Hands in Somerville or the Relief Bus in New York City or Market Street Mission in Morristown. The seeds you are scattering are helping people who are hurting and hungry in those areas. Your seed is being scattered globally through world partners like, like Kurt and Jana Hanover who serve in Thailand and, and re- just recently, in fact, they helped put together food, a food distribution for people affected by the COVID shutdowns in their country. You can read about their efforts on our Unhindered page on our website. But this is just one of the many people we support around the world who are doing gospel work for the glory of God. So, so let me challenge you today. If you are giving to our ministry and if you're able, maybe set up, set up auto-give through our online giving platform because there is still... Much more work to do for the kingdom of God here at NBC. Ministry never stops, friends. In fact, it's actually just gotten a whole lot more. Second, and this may be a more, uh, a more inventive way of thinking about it, I would suggest consider investing in businesses in underprivileged communities. Because so often we invest our money in areas that will make us the most money, and I know that makes sense from a, from a business and a money-making standpoint, but But ask yourself, how can you leverage your money to help the poor? Look at Proverbs 22.9. It says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. And one way, inventive way to do that, is to invest in businesses that will help neighborhoods that have poor economies. This can help revitalize a neighborhood and bring economic relief. And those of, you out there that are, those of you out there that are gifted with business mindsets, just consider investing in, in some way that might help, uh, might not help you make the most money, but will make the most difference. Apply gospel generosity. How can I be generous? And when you ask that, when you ask that, it starts to build your faith in God. And honestly, if we could just be honest, for many of us, this is where the rubber meets the road. Right? We don't give as much as we can because we don't trust that God will take care of us. In fact, I think one of the reasons that God institutes the tithe in the Old Testament or giving 10% of your income to him is not because God needs our money. Right? Don't be fooled to think that God needs your money. He's God. If he wants something to happen, it's going to happen. But God tells us to give... And give generously because he wants to build our faith in him. Do you trust me? He asks. Do you believe I am your ultimate protection? Or or are you like the rich person in Proverbs 18? A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're working really hard to build that wall higher and higher and get that protection around your kingdom. And I have to ask you, is your hope in your money or is it in Jesus Christ? Because money may protect, protect you for a while in this life, but Jesus Christ will bring protection for eternity. 
The money we have comes from him. It's a blessing and a danger, and the way we live is by emulating the generous life of our Savior. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, though he was rich, yet for your sake, for your sake, for my sake, he became poor so that you so that by his poverty you might become rich. See, Jesus Christ left his heavenly place of wealth and came to earth as a baby born in poverty. He lived a life as a poor carpenter. He was brutally beaten and mocked and died on a cross. Talk about trading riches for poverty. But he had eternity in mind. Friends, if we are thinking wisely about money, we will become like Jesus Christ. When you place your faith in him, he gives you more riches than you could ever acquire in a thousand lifetimes here on earth, and he is the one who will bring our protection for eternity. I hope today that you take comfort in that and that you realize that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. I thank you for my friends who are who are here today, who are listening online, Lord, I pray that you would build our faith in you, Lord, first and foremost. Build our faith in you and let that translate into how we give and how we manage our money, Lord God. There's a deeply spiritual connection to it. Help us to be generous people, Lord. Father, thank you for those who are blessed and for those who are hurting, Lord. I pray that you would meet their needs, that you would build both sets of people, that you would build our faith in you, Lord God and that we would trust you more and more as we go from this place, and that we would be arrows using our money to point people to you and your goodness. We pray that in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.